Hello and welcome to the Resilient Sessions. Alongside our weekly episodes, we wanted to give listeners the chance to hear the full story of our veterans. This is Al's story. I used to be proud. I used to wear a uniform. And on that uniform, it said Royal Marines Commander. Whenever I wore it, I used to feel invincible. But there was one day back in 2005 and I wasn't wearing that uniform and I wasn't invincible. The weather that day, it was, was kind of like today. It was bright, it was warm, it was sunny. The wind was calm, a little bit too calm. You see, me and our people were meant to be kite surfing out in Anglesey. These were the type of things we used to do. But the weather, the, being, the way it was, it just wasn't going to happen. Pete wanted to buy a bike at the time. So we went along to this motorbike shop and we're looking at the biggest, fastest, most ridiculous bike you've ever seen. This bike was a beast. Pete went on first and he's, he's really testing this bike out, really giving it some. I was on the back, I was holding on. I wasn't a big, mad, fast biker. I was, I was quite cautious, quite defensive. And we turned this corner. I'm driving at this point. And the cars are parked for about a mile long. We're just in this queue. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. Our Pete gives me a little nudge with his knees as if to say, go on, you'll be all right. I started making my way to the front of that queue. And I got to the front. That's when it happened. The car in front turned and I slammed straight into it. I couldn't react. I had no time. It wasn't the crash that broke me back. That great big menace, that great beast of a bike came up and broke my back in two. I went into the driver's side, Pete. He flew over the front and he went over the bonnet, missing the car completely. He broke his collarbone. Whilst I, I was just lying there. I was dazed, I was confused, I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't feel anything. Couldn't feel anything. It all went dark. I came back round and I could see I could see this nurse standing next to me and she was she was like a vision. She whispered to me in the really soft, kind words. She said, if you're in any type of pain whatsoever, just press this drip and you'll be all right. I wasn't in any type of pain. Before what the hell, I'll give it a go. So I pressed it, and this morphine went into my body and it felt amazing. It just numbed me completely. I didn't have a clue where it was. I started coming back around and I, I could see this doctor walking towards me. It's not good news. It's all right. I've got this. So I pressed it, 
and just drift us off. Started coming back round again. I could, I could see me mum and dad at the end of the bed. I don't want to deal with this. It's okay. So pressed, pressed, and I kept on pressing. There's nothing there. The morphine was empty. That's when I realised. I was 22 years old. I was no longer a Royal Marine. I was about to spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair. So as you can imagine, a bit of time went on and got into rehab and I was moving on. I was doing some good things. I still had that Royal Marines mentality of cracking on and getting on with it. I was doing all right. Pete made me aware of something called flying scholarships for the disabled. I thought, yeah, I'm applying for that. It's by a guy called Douglas Barder. He was amazing. He was the original superhuman. In fact, he was that good at being disabled that whilst in a prison of war camp, he had his legs confiscated because he kept on trying to escape. I'd wear that like a badge of honor. So I applied for one of the scholarships and he sent me out to South Africa and I was out there to become a pilot. I wasn't happy that I was disabled, but I was, I was doing some positive things. So I'm out there and I'm flying one day and the instructor, Andy, he jumps out. This is my chance. This is my opportunity to fly a plane by myself. I took off, came round, I'm on downwind, I'm on the final approach. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to stack it. And I came in and I landed that plane so sweetly. It was the best landing I've ever done. Best one I'll, I'll ever do to date. So next minute, there's a crowd of people and they're heading towards me. 20, 30 people, and I'm thinking, well, hey, how popular am I? They're not there to celebrate my achievements. They're there to see if the guy in the wheelchair could swim or not. So they got me by the swimming pool. And they went one. They went two. They went three. And for the second time that day, I was flying. I hit the water, and I sank, and I sank, and I sank. All that joy and elation soon stopped and the penny dropped. He can't actually swim. So then I'm doing this doggy paddle type thing to try and rescue the situation. And everyone starts cheering. And it's a, it's a brilliant occasion. You know, I felt chuffed. Felt really good. I felt, felt positive. I was smiling. I was happy. So I got back home. And this is 2008, and you may or may not remember, but the world was in a horrible place. Kind of like at the moment, 2020, people were losing their jobs. There was a lot of uncertainty in the world, and there just wasn't a good vibe. But I felt good. I felt really good. But there was something missing in my life. That was some type of job. So I applied for this job as a wheelchair skills trainer. This is where I got to work with kids to make them more independent and confident in chairs that they would go on and do good things. This is where I got to meet Tom and his dad. And by the end of the week, 
Tom's dad started confiding in me about Tom. He said Tom was involved in a road traffic accident, kind of like me. He said his mum was driving the car. And I was thinking, well, me and our Pete were on the bike. And he said, and Tom's mum was drunk. My heart sank. Me and our Pete, we, we were the grown adults. We, we knew the risks. We accepted those risks and took them on that day. But Tom, he put all his love and his trust in his mum and dad, and ultimately they failed him. And it was a really pivotal point in my life. Got me thinking about where I was going and what I was doing. At this point in my life, I was letting my injury define me as a person. I made a conscious decision that day to try and move forward, to try and say yes, to try and find opportunities and give me purpose. Maybe Tom, Tom helped me with that decision. Maybe I've helped Tom along with his journey. Through the joys of social media, I am in touch with Tom. He's doing all right. He's now a wheelchair skills trainer himself. And I'm proud of the fact that maybe I've helped him just as much as he has helped me. Well, I'm quite an active lad up here in Liverpool. So I do a lot of sports, a lot of tennis, a lot of skiing. And I say yet yeah to anything that comes along. I had a chance to join the Armed Forces ski team. And this is where I'd go away, represent the country and ski, the Armed Forces. He sent me out to America to ski against the Wounded Warriors, skiing up one day. And how I ski, I had a mono ski, so I sit there and I've got two little skis on my hands. and. Basically, try and carve down the mountain, try and do the best I can. And I'm out there and something doesn't feel right. I can't feel or move three quarters of my body. I just don't know what's going on. I pass the office some type of water infection. These are the type of things that you get in a chair, but you pass off and you I'll be all right. I got home and my wife, she called for an ambulance. I wasn't in a good way. I didn't know that I got rushed into hospital and I'd still be in that hospital over a year later trying to get rid of this, this infection. Septicemia, it's a blood poisoning. It's the worst, most vicious, most nastiest thing you'll ever come across. Because I can't feel it, it was just bubbling away. And it hit me and it, it knocked me for six. From uh, the A&A department, they rushed me into uh, the spinal unit and I was in an ICU. So I was in intensive care by myself. And the doctor came in to see me, Dr. Sony, the guy that I knew, a man of few words. And he comes in. It was Mr. Kroll. You're going to have to dig deep. I used to dig deep all the time in the Marines. It was easy. I used to turn this off and I put one foot in front of the other to achieve whatever we were set up to achieve. 
but in this sense, I had to just lie there like Superman, trying to get rid of this infection. It was a really hard time. I felt, felt so lonely, felt so alone. But I knew if I could just stay positive and just try and work through it, I'll be back to where I should be. And it took me a long time. Now, I did get back to where, where I was. There was something that helped me during that time. That was the Invictus Games, set up by a guy called Prince Harry. He's the guy with ginger hair. He's never going to be king, but he's all right with that. And he set up the Invictus Games. And I'm super proud and super chuffed to say that I've been part of those games. And it, it was a big recovery recovery journey for myself. My two sports were wheelchair tennis and adaptive rowing. I wouldn't wish rowing on my worst enemy. It is horrendous. It's really hard work. It's not that enjoyable, but tennis, tennis is great. Dead social. Did really well. I mean, like, really well. Got, like, two golds in the wheelchair tennis and a mega chuffed. I'll never get selected for a games again because the games is all about your recovery process. I've done well to get to this point. So what's next for me? What's my future look like? Well, I should be out in America cycling with Blesma, the race across America from California all the way to Annapolis. But COVID and the lockdown has snatched that away from us this year. Maybe 2021, hopefully. But one be here today without the support and the love of my family. I've got a little boy, Xander. He's three and a half, and he is the most amazing person I know. You see, he's always known wheelchair Al. He's never known me before my accident. And I try and show him every day a little slice the character I was. And there's a little slice of the person that I want him to be. I don't want him to see a dad with a disability. I just want him to see me as dad. And my wife, Jane, she's my rock. She's, um, she's amazing. I'm the big thinker in the family. I'll come up with the big ideas. And Jane will bring me down a peg or two. To uh, and then ultimately we'll settle on a choice. So essentially, ladies and gents, that is my story. And as you go away today, reflect upon my story. What I'd like you to do is have a little think. Have a little think where you're up to in your story. All those goals, all those achievements that you set yourself then ask yourself one question. In fact, ask yourself the same question that I asked myself over 12 years ago. Are you ready to say yes? Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Al's story, which we've released as part of the Resilient Sessions series. 
We're back next week with another full episode where Stu and I chat to inspiring Blesma veterans and especially invited guests. See you then.